Can you hear me chewing? I don't know, but I already hit start record, so we'll see if that's our opening segment. <laughs> if you can hear me chewing, I'm eating a nerd's rope because it's been a long day. And so I have channeled my 16-year-old and I am eating a nerd's rope. They, I don't can't remember the last time I ate one of those, but just nerd rope aside, what are your thoughts on the game today? And what we I think saw? That, I, I think we'll get, we're going to get in to the game. My first thought, and I think it's your first thought, is everybody needs to take a big, deep breath. It's all going to be okay. This game is not indicative of who BYU is forever. This game does not somehow ruin everything that we thought was going for us. This does not mean that BYU, everything that has been said over the course of the last month is suddenly false. This means that BYU ran into a game that maybe they weren't, I don't know, we'll talk about it. Maybe they weren't drank prepared. the poison a little bit, maybe. Yeah, maybe they were overlooking UTSA. Maybe they weren't prepared. Maybe, you know, it, it could be all of those things. Like, all of those things can be true. That, that's fine. But it doesn't take away the last three weeks of football. It doesn't right. take away the dominating performance against Navy, who I think they won today. They beat Temple, who, again, I mean, Temple's had their own COVID issues, but they beat Temple. They've beaten Tulane, right? So Navy is proving that they're more capable than what BYU fans want to give them credit for. It doesn't take away the fact that BYU did what only six teams could do, and that's blow out their opponents by uh, blow out a Sunbelt opponent by like 40 plus points. Only six teams did that last year. BYU did that twice. So what BYU has done over the course of the season, there's three really, really good games and one bad game that still ended up in a win. I tweeted this out. I don't know if you saw it. The difference between BYU this year and BYU last year and the year before and the year before is UMass 2017 Northern Illinois 2018, Toledo 2019. Like good teams struggle with bad with bad opponents. Like it happens. Virginia, everybody wants to, you know, bring St. Bronco back to Provo every time BYU stumbles. Virginia, who ended up in a New Year's Six game last year, they went, they nearly lost to Old Dominion at the beginning of the year. I don't know if people don't remember that, but I remember following that game. I think they ended up winning like 28-17 or something like that. Right. But but it was close. Good teams have these games and it it, it sucks. It happens. If you can it's frustrating. Win, if you can win your bungled games, yeah. like then you can do all right. It's I mean, obviously this is like this is kind of the gimme, right? Like this is your freebie. You know, if this happens. Again, like obviously Houston is probably going to be the biggest test of the season. And, but like the team that we saw, the UTSA team that we saw in the second half stylistically was not at all what BYU prepared for because it was a different quarterback, you know, expecting them to lean on sincere McCormick, which they tried to do in the first half, despite it being 14 to three, like BYU outplayed them in every single measure. Like if Neil Pau doesn't fumble the ball at the five yard line and we go into the locker room 21 to three, and we outgained them 315 yards to 95 yards or whatever. Nobody's complaining at all about that Nobody. game. You're like, and, oh, we're going to come out in the locker room. We're going to cruise. And maybe the second half of that game, the momentum, like it could go very differently. But even then, looking at the game, if you look at, you know, we've got the advanced box score pulled up on collegefootballdata.com right now. The postgame win probability 
for this game was still 99%. So meaning like, if you look at games where it's like bad beats or like fluky things where it's like based on the box score, like points aside, based on this box score, you would 99% of the time at times out of a hundred, this game is going to end up where the points in reality end up with BYU getting more points than UTSA. So it's like, it was weird statistically across the board. It is weird that this was a one point game because we were moving the ball. Well, you know, people kind of said like, Oh, this a is one like score watching, game, but yeah, right, a one score game. Like people said like, Oh, it's like watching BYU last, like it's old BYU is back. Right. Like, but it's like, it's not like we were stalling out in the red zone. Right. Like, it's not like, you know, drives were putting around. It's like, we were getting the ball moving. It was just like the defense struggle in the second half when they changed things up. And a lot of that, you know, maybe it's coaches didn't adjust, but it's, they were still trying to bring pressure. We were getting guys, but they had a, like the, they benched their starter and the guy they put in is a four star who had offers from Clemson, Alabama, started his career at LSU before transferring. Like, you know, everybody Auburn, everybody wanted him. He's a good player. And it's like, he made some plays and it's like, how many scaps sacks did he find his way out of? Or, you know, when there's big plays like on their last touchdown, when Keenan, Keenan Ellis thought that he was sacked and kind of gave up on coverage and then they got out of the sack and then the guy was standing on the end zone. That's not the coach's fault. Like that's a player's right. issue. Yep. And, well, if, and if, yeah. And if Keenan Ellis sticks on that guy and knocks the ball away, then it's like, Oh, we won 28 to 14. Like it was kind of ugly, whatever, but it the game was never in doubt. Right. Like it's, right. Or there was another play I specifically remember. Um, I don't know if I was I texted you or someone else during the game where they showed a highlight is like where they got the player got around outside and they had a big play. And it was like Micah Harper and Isaiah Kafusi were standing right next to each other. Neither of them were covering anyone. And they were like 15 yards from the sideline. It's like somebody got mixed up and whoever's supposed to be covering the flat was not covering the flat. Like that's a coach. Like, I mean, maybe it's a coaching issue because they didn't teach it to him enough or whatever, but like, ultimately that's a player issue. That well, and that's a Micah Harper's in his third career game, right? Like you expect that kind of stuff. And that's right. That's what this was. Now I want to take us back to the first quarter. Okay. We, you, you already alluded to the Neil Powell fumble. BYU was moving the ball. Like they didn't even have to think in that opening drive of the game, Zach Wilson, Little bubble screen to Gunnar Romney for 17 yards. Next play, Zach Wilson for 35 yards to Dax Milne on a beautiful throw that he scrambled. The pressure was coming in on the left side. He scrambles out and throws a dart, like an absolutely beautiful throw. Then he completes a pass to Neil Pau, who it was another first down. It was an easy first down. I think it went for 10, 11 yards on the pass. Pau makes the right cut. If he doesn't, if the, the defender doesn't poke the ball free, and if, if maybe Powell is a little bit more careful, but it was a good play by the defense. You give credit to the defense. If that ball isn't poked free, Powell's in the end zone, and we're talking it's a 7-0 game a minute and a half into the game. Okay, next drive, UTSA gets the ball. Troy Warner picks it off. Uh, thank you, ESPN2, for the A-plus coverage on that, by the way. Oh, yeah, that I was, forgot about that play. That was spectacular. It didn't happen because I didn't see you it. You forgot about it because nobody knew it. Nobody saw it. We just saw Tyler Batty jump up in the air. Uh, then the next ensuing BYU drive, people have forgotten about this, but again, BYU's moving the ball. Tyler Algier runs for nine, a pass to Isaac Rex for 19, a pass to Carter Wheat for 19, and then Algier gets stuffed, and then it's third and 13 from the Texas State 40. BYU goes to their trusty third long play of the speed option and Zach and Tyler 
they're not on the same page. I don't know. Was it a bad, bad pitch? Was it a bad catch? You know, whatever it was, it results in a fumble. And Algier picks it up and it's a, it's a loss of three. And now BYU is behind the chains. And that's, you know, that's the end. At that point, uh, they've, they've got to give up on the drive. They're far enough back. They're not even in field goal range. Jake Oldroyd's hurt anyways. And that's the end of that drive. If that pitch, I remember that play vividly. And if nobody believes, if nobody wants to believe us, go watch it, check it out again. If that pitch is converted normal, Algier has nothing but green ahead of him. Like he could go all the way into the end well, zone. They ran that play multiple times in and the it worked game. Every time. It's like they thought they had it and they did most of the time they did it. And that's especially with Jake Oldroyd being out and the fact that it's, you're the number 15 team in the country taking on a program that you frankly don't think is very good. You're not messing yeah. around. It's like, that is a two play situation where you say, okay, well, Algiers running over everyone already. So he'll get us down to fourth and four. And then we know we can convert it from there. So, so that fumble kills that drive. If that fumble does not happen and the Powell fumble does not happen. I mean, conceivably it's 14, nothing at that point. Now, look, we're talking about these things as if, they didn't happen, but these two fumbles did happen, right? But turnovers like got, are flukes. Like they're unpredictable. Like you cannot right. like turnovers. They, you know, they are a random statistic. They just especially happen. turnovers by teams who have not turned the ball over all year long. You know, if you're like habitually turning the ball over, then you have to give some credence to the fact that, yeah, we're playing sloppy. We're doing something that is causing these turnovers to be more likely, but BYU hasn't turned the ball over. They've been very careful, right? So we can chalk these up to fluky plays. And frankly, that Neil Pau fumble was a fluky play. And that changes the dynamics of the game. Now, does Neil Pau need to protect the ball? Of course he does. Do Zach and Algier, do they need to get on the same page, go through some speed option reps to ensure that that fumble doesn't happen next week? Absolutely they do. But I don't think that it's like burn down the house because those two plays happen. It happens. It's football. That's why we watch the game. One thing I have felt as how long has the game been over now, Garrett? It's been over about two and a half, three hours. Yeah, uh, we both like had that. some stuff to do. Normally we do these shows like immediately following the game. So, you know, but kids uh, happen. Kids happen. I needed a nerd's rope to get myself through the show. Um, and, it, you know, things happen. You have to have some family conversations about the birds and the bees. It sounds like as well. Yeah, dude, that got weird. So I walk into, if you guys have not uh, seen this tweet, uh, I walked into oh, my Mike Leach just benched KJ Costello. So two weeks ago, he set the SEC passing record, and now he's done. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, and also Alabama is struggling with Ole Miss. I think they just, Najee Harris just scored another touchdown. Um, so I think they're up seven now, but yeah. that game is fun. Costello's was 31 of 45 for 200 yards, zero touchdowns, three interceptions. Ouch. That Ouch. is the, yeah, 4.4 yards per attempt. That is peak air raid right there. And that is. So, um, yes, I did have to have some conversations. Well, more accurately, I had to avoid some conversations. I walked into my bathroom just to grab something uh, very innocently. And my wife and my daughter are in there. She's six, six and a half. And I hear, and if the egg is fertilized by the sperm, then it makes a baby. And if it's not, then I shed it. You know, and obviously my ears are going to 
peek up at that point of like, what, what did I just walk into? And then I hear my daughter ask the next question. So where does the sperm come from? And I know that that question, I can sense that the attention is turning towards dad who just walked into the bathroom because yeah, where does the sperm come from? Well, let's turn and ask dad. So I bailed. I, I had to get out of there as fast as I could. I don't know how the I don't know how the conversation ended. I don't know. I mean, I, I would have made something up about storks or whatever. I would have just completely avoided it. So maybe that's what my wife did. She's a stronger person than I am. So I would assume that there was at least an adult conversation. I don't know how detailed that meant, but I would assume she answered the question. I just got out of there as fast as I could. So yeah, I had to have that conversation before we could do the post game recap. Deal with it, everybody. That's just life, right? No, I, I, I do want to talk about something, though. So the three hours since this game finished, there's been a ton of just – it almost feels like BYU just got blown out by 40 points. Like, it's just the end of the world. Everybody is – this is 2019 BYU all over again, blah, 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 blah. Football, guys. I, I feel like BYU it's – been, it's been long enough since – the Cougars have been on this side of the equation that we don't know how we don't remember what it's like to be the team that everybody's gunning for throughout the last decade. BYU has been down, right? For the most part, they have been the underdog in just about every big game that has come up. And it's always been BYU who is looking at the end of the game and saying, man, if this play just goes our way, or if this doesn't happen, then we, we win that game. We, we pull off that big upset. Well, UTSA is having that conversation right now. BYU was the favorite. We got UTSA's best shot. And you have to give credit to UTSA. This is what makes football great. This is what made the win against USC last year so special, is that was a game that we were not supposed to be involved with. BYU was supposed to get beaten. I remember the, the spread, okay, it wasn't a 35-point spread, but the, the spread was, uh, it was like really low. Like everybody, I remember it was like five or six, four or five, something like that. And everybody that I talked to was just like, this is free money for USC. How is it not 12 or 14? USC was coming off that huge win over Stanford. And when BYU came out and won, it was this big shock. Well, guys, BYU is that good team now. We are going to see this every week that teams want to knock BYU off. They want that signature win against a ranked top 15 opponent. And if BYU is not ready to play every single week, they will have games like this. Now, credit to BYU for having a game like this, but still coming away with the win. And frankly, that was never in doubt, right? It never felt like UTSA was going to win the game. It was always a question of, how is BYU not winning by more? Right. And welcome back to being the good team, BYU fans. I know it's been a long time since we've been able to enjoy that, but that's what's happening and get used to it. This is what, this is what it is. We're not going to be able to blow out teams every single week. It's just the way that it is. Well, and so I'm kind of looking back um, right now of prior years, right? And so it's like, okay, 1983, one of the best, like, you know, BYU teams ever. It's like, oh, they beat, only beat Utah State, who finished five and six at home, you know, by two points. 
you know, did that take anything away from that team? Or the following year, they only beat in 1984, they only beat Wyoming 40, they beat Wyoming 41 to 38, when Wyoming finished six and six, right? Like it's these games happen to every team. Like you're looking at Alabama struggle with a not good Ole Miss team. Obviously, Ole Miss is better than Texas State, but Alabama is also better than BYU, right? Like it's not these games happen and they happen across board, like across the board. And every program has this, you know, every year you have these games where it's like, okay, can you figure out a way to hold it together and get through it when things don't bounce your way and you get off schedule and you know, you're not kind of one game that always sticks out to me is similar to this. I think is what year was it? Um, Was it this game? I remember Uh, 2009 BYU struggled against New Mexico. Oh, I do remember that. And 2008 struggled against Colorado state. I remember that was the one where Dennis Pitta had to like, make a catch down at the goal line. But, mm-hmm. oh, so, yes, I always think of, like, when I think of this, it's I think of 2003 Oklahoma. So they started the season preseason number one, and they ran the table through their entire regular season when 8 known Big 12 play. They meet Kansas number 12, Kansas State, in the Big 12 championship game, and they lose 35-7. to And I remember watching that game, and I was like, I guess I was be 12 years old, almost 13 at the time, watching that game and it was like Kansas state. It was like, had a couple fluky plays and got up 14 to zero and Oklahoma didn't know what to do. Like they are like, we haven't like, they had not faced any adversity really the entire season. Their closest game that they had all year was like 35 to 14 kind of thing. And you know, they just didn't know what to do. And so it's like, I think in prior years, BYU would have folded. This would have like, this was the Toledo game from last year, right? Yeah. Same as Toledo and USF but we pulled it out, like didn't crumble, held it together, made enough plays. The offense didn't fall apart really. Like the offense performance in the second half didn't really change all that much. It's just the defense was spending more time on the field. So there wasn't like the offense didn't get as many plays in the second half as they did in the first half. That was the real, yeah. real difference. Actually, I can tell you right now that in the second half, they had like 40, well, that's, I guess that's including kickoffs and stuff. So 35-ish, whatever plays. But in the first half, they ran 50. So it's like they had 10 more plays in the second half. And they, what, they first half they had 300 yards and they finished with 500-something total yards, right? Oh, that's basic, That's the same offensive performance. You just didn't have the same number of opportunities because the defense kind of stumbled a bit. So obviously before Friday, the defense needs to figure some things out because they struggled in the past. How much of that was they didn't prep for that because a very different quarterback came in than what was planned for. And, you know, how much of that was, you know, just making mistakes. And if it's just making mistakes, then that's got to get tightened up before Friday because Houston is going to test them and get after them. I think I don't necessarily know, especially like a receiver, the skill players. I don't know that Houston, like they're all that different, right? Then, I mean, they're just, they're long, tall, fast, athletic guys, right? They're kind of. There's a lot of similarities between Houston and UTSA or especially Louisiana Tech. Uh, I think they're probably a little bit better than UTSA and La Tech, but the athlete is going to be very similar. And I actually think that BYU going through this second half with Lowell Marquise uh, throwing the ball around a little bit to these athletic UTSA guys that are probably not going to go on to the NFL, but very talented players. One of them, Zakari, I can't remember his last name, Zakari 
Um, he had a, a bunch of different catches. Anyway, he uh, he trained with Margin Hooks. Like he's very familiar. Now I'm now I'm getting annoyed. I want to find what this guy's name is. Zakari Franklin. Uh, he trained with Margin Hooks. He's a very very good receiver. He he's very much in the mold of like a Micah Simon was for BYU. So they've got dudes. Like they absolutely had players, and I think that's good preparation for 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 BYU's game against Houston. Now, I want to be very clear about this. We're not saying that BYU was flawless and this is just a fluke and there's nothing to worry about. There are things that need to be cleaned up. What we are saying is everybody take a deep breath. BYU is still a very good team. They still have all the same pieces in place that were in place yesterday when everybody was excited and talking about a New Year's Six game. It's the same team. It's a 4-0 and team, or a 4-0 and record. BYU still has a lot of that same momentum. These kinds of things are going to happen, and as long as it gets corrected and BYU gets back on track, then things are going to be good. Now, I understand why there would be uh, anxiety about a game against Houston next week, but I want to talk about a few things that uh, – I want to talk about James Empey and then I want to talk about why James Empey not playing the message that that sent. And then a few off the field things. We don't have an agenda right now. Clearly we opened the show with M. Can you hear me chewing? So we don't have an agenda right now, but those are the, I want to talk about a few of these things and I want to get your thoughts, Garrett. So first off, James Empey, um, if you would have asked me and I, this is documented on, on Cougar sports insider everywhere. If you would have asked me, before the season, which one player can BYU absolutely not afford to lose? I would have told you James Empey. Brady Christensen could go down with an injury, and BYU has tackles that I would feel comfortable with. Zach Wilson could go down with an injury, and there are quarterbacks that I feel comfortable with. Matt Bushman did go down. You know, Kyrus Tonga could go down, and I would feel comfortable with the people who are behind them. James Empey could not go down. Joe Tukawafu has never, not only has he never played center at the college level, he has never played center, period. These last two weeks have been his first two games, period. UTSA was able to get pressure on Zach Wilson, and they did it by just bringing heat. That was, I mean, every down they were bringing pressure and it was really fairly simple blitzes they weren't doing anything crazy they were overloading one side and just forcing zach to go out of the pocket on one side he still wasn't sacked it's not like the pressure or the the the, uh, protection was so bad that zach just didn't have any time jeff trailer and that utsa defense their game plan was to just force zach out of the pocket in a game that james empey is playing That does not happen. Not because James Empey from the center spot is going to be able to pick up all of those blocks on his own, but he's going to recognize the gaps that those players are coming through. And he is going to call out the correct coverage assignments. He's going to get the running back in the right spot. James Empey has played center. That's what you expect from James. You it's a hard, I'm not saying that Joe Tukawafu is not capable, but you have to understand that he's going to make some mistakes against complex defenses. That does not mean that UTSA is an all-world defense, but the looks that they were showing were complex for a guy who was playing his second career game ever 
at the offensive line position. Well, not even second career game ever. Like, I mean, do you realize that he, Joe Tukawafu, originally signed with Utah State in like the class of 2014, right? Yeah, so he signed forever. the class of 2014, goes on his mission, comes back in like the middle, or he may have gone up to Utah State for a semester, like however when he left. So he got back from his mission in January of 2017 so maybe when i don't remember if he went to utah state for a year he did and he came straight to be he had to sit out for a semester right because he went to he redshirted at utah state for and then went on his mission is that what happened or, uh it was because he he signed his letter of intent and then when he came home he signed some sort of like a scholarship in aid agreement right. that he he didn't sign another nli that would have you know, bound him to the team, but he signed some sort of a scholarship agreement with Utah State right. that he was on the roster, and that was the issue. Got it. So, either way, he came back. So basically, he originally signed with Utah State as part of the class of 2014. So it is now 2020. The last meaningful extended snaps that Joe Tukuwafu got in any football game at any level was his senior year of high school in 2013. That was seven been- years ago. It's been okay. a long time. That is more, that's like a third of his life ago. It's <laughs> a good way to put it. And you're right. And so it's, I mean, bringing up like Ed Norskoyan and agreeing everything that you said is like they were getting Zach on the move. Zach still played really well. He finished like 22 of 30 for 290 yards and accounted for he three completed touchdowns. 73 of his passes, 73% of his passes in a game that was a bad game. Right. If that's your bad game when you're playing on the run and don't feel comfortable, like, you know, people only say like, oh, it's like the hype train is going to stop. It's like, no, the scouts, they pay attention to that stuff. And like, oh, no, the starting center was out. Like, they watch the film. They can see that stuff. And they're like, dude, he was getting run down because his offensive line was not giving him any help. But he still completed 73% of his passes, not dinking and dunking, was taking shots downfield. And he had a couple missed throws or whatever. But then he had those couple like off, like square like hip square sidearm throw like the shovel pass that he had like he was doing all those different things he had a back shoulder pass right a back shoulder ball to dax that he he went across his body and he planted it his back foot kind of threw it off his back foot but he threw it with power off his back foot it wasn't like a bad throw and it was absolutely perfect it was one of the most incredible passes i've ever seen him throw and it really hasn't been talked about anywhere. It was spectacular. Right. So like, if that is his, um, like if that is his bad game, then that's nothing. And you got a pretty damn good quarterback. Right. We do have a very damn good quarterback. So, okay. So James Empey's absence is a big deal. Now here is what I do want to talk about. And here's what concerns me about James Empey not playing. He was dressed and available to play. He went through warmups and he was held out out of an abundance of caution, which is, was a move that I agreed with, but I'm not a coach. I'm not a player, right? Like, I don't have to worry about this kind of stuff. But to me, I said, yeah, BYU will beat UTSA with or without James Empey. So smart move to hold him out. Right. But he's dressed. He's ready. He could have played. What kind of message does that send to the team that you've got a guy who he's not a hundred percent, but maybe, I don't know what is, what, you know, what's the the barrier to play? Is it 75%? Is it 90%? I don't know what the number is, right. but he is able to be, to be in the lineup and to play. And we say, 
we're going to hold him out for one more week. If Joe goes down, then we can bring James in. What kind of message, if you're the rest of the team, does that send? Probably one that, hey, UTSA is not very good. That can't happen, right? Like BYU's not a good enough team. I was thinking about that completely different. I thought you were going somewhere else with that, of we trust our guys and we're not going to, you know, like we're going to let them play because we believe in like next man up, whatever, which I guess it kind of sends both, right? Depending it, yeah. on depending on who the player is. And obviously those guys know how hurt everyone else is. Sure. Like it, you know, if, you know, if he's really banged up, then it's fine. If it's like, he's got like, you know, if this was literally anywhere else, but UTSA, then you're going to play banged up. Then that sends a different message. I, and I think it does. And to me, okay, that's a little bit concerning that the coaching staff, you know, I, if you're going to hold them out, hold them out. Like, don't ever, don't let them go. Right, don't let them suit up. Don't let them suit up. He's hurt. And so that, to me, could send a message of, hey, we, maybe we are overlooking uh, uh, UTSA, looking forward to Houston. Now, another factor here, and these are excuses. These are not things that, uh, I am saying, well, this is why BYU played bad. It's nothing to worry about. These are things that cause me a little bit of concern just about the the attitude of the team going forward, but not necessarily for next week. But the team was all sitting in the hotel. If you guys don't know this, even on home games, the night before a game, the team goes to a hotel. I think most people know that. Uh, the team is sitting in their hotel last night. Everybody is quarantined. So this year of COVID, everything's a little bit different. You don't get to go to your hotel and then go hang out and have dinner with everybody and, you know, screw around for a little while. Then it's just get into your, into your beds and, you know, lights out by a certain time. Like, no, these players are stuck in their hotel room with their, you know, one or two roommates or however many are in there. And that's it. That's what they do. So they're sitting in their hotels last night. What do you think they're watching? They're watching Houston at Tulane because that's what we would all have said we want them to do is to start learning who Houston is. They shouldn't so, have been doing that, but that's what they were probably doing. Oh, a hundred percent. You're not going to sit there and watch the same film you've watched 85 times. So yes. And so this is the situation is you've got a team who already is potentially looking ahead. You've got a, a coaching staff that is holding out James Empey, but I, you know, quick curious decision to say the least. And you've got a team that just watched their next opponent in their hotel rooms yesterday. All of those things add up to, yeah, we might have overlooked UTSA. That might've been a problem. I don't think BYU is going to overlook Houston. I think they have been looking forward to the Houston game since, since the Navy game was over. So I don't think that we have to worry about that. I think that. they've had that one circled as, well, even before Boise and San Diego State got added to the schedule, like that was the, the that was game their game. Make your make your mark. Yeah, exactly. So I don't I'm not worried about BYU overlooking them, but I do think that there's a a cause for concern of hey, did they overlook this team? Now, the other thing I want to talk about, kind of an off the field thing, that again, not excusing the lackluster performance, but maybe explaining why it happened. This team was as upset as anybody else about the fact that uh, families and fans were not allowed into the stadium. Players were vocal about it. Some were very vocal on Twitter that they were upset. So it's probably tough 
to go out in front of an empty stadium for the fourth week in a row to play against a team who you've been hearing that you're a huge favorite. You know, you're five, you're five touchdowns better than this team. You have to find a way to get up, get motivated, get hyped to go and play in front of nobody against a team who you should be able to walk all over. Again, we're not excusing the lack of, you know, readiness, but I get it. Like distracted a little bit. Like Garrett, when you woke up this morning, were you Jones to just watch this game against UTSA? No. Uh, I mean, I I really thought there was a game today, but it wasn't like circled on my calendar the way that Navy game was right. Like, right. it was well, like, I mean, oh yeah, the game's at twelve thirty. Okay, like I'm gonna go take care of this stuff, run some errands, and then go get this. Or I'm gonna go get donuts and then come back. I don't know. If, do you follow my daughter on Instagram? She, ha- my kids <laughs> each have their own Instagram. <laughs> no, I do not. Like, I need to. Pri- so this is a video I posted. Anyone who wants to go look at, you can DM me. So I gave her some donuts because she loves donuts, but she calls them no nuts. And so my mother-in-law is like filming her, and she's like, "What are you eating?" And she's like, no nuts. And then she's like, can you tell dad that thank you? And she looks at me and says, thank you, poopy butt. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and so that was how my Saturday started. And that's kind of how, <laughs> you know, this game went. It's like, yes, I expected to win. I expected it to be a bigger blowout than the score to be a lot less close than this was. I expected, you know, <clears throat> them to... Like I just, you know, I expected more. And I think kind of that same attitude may have bled over a little bit. You know, some of, they kind of felt hopefully not as bad, right? Like, you know, because they care and I'm guarantee you not as bad because they still care. No matter how much you are as a fan care about winning, the players care a million times more. Do not ever let yourself or tell yourself like, Oh, they just didn't want it bad enough. Like they always want to win way more than you ever have or will or care about. And they're going to come away from this game extremely frustrated and know that they laid an egg and that they need to do better and tighten things up. Yep. A hundred percent. I mean, that's, that's really what it is. So long story short, I mean, these are my thoughts is that they could have played better. They should have played better. They should have won by a lot. Um, A 35 point spread is a big spread. Like it's a very big spread. Um, BYU didn't win by 35 points last week, did they? Against uh, Louisiana Tech. They, I think they won 45-14, so 31. So 35 was a big spread to begin with. I was all in. I mean, I, I was wrong. I thought BYU would be, I think I said 62 to 10. I thought that BYU would be motivated. 56 to 7, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly thought that, that BYU would have found a way to put a chip on their shoulder and come out pissed off today because they have been listening all week to how, yeah, they're, you know, they're ranked number 15, but every time anybody has said that there's been a, a follow-up very quick of, but they haven't played anybody, but we don't really know what they are. So I kind of thought BYU would be pissed off. And that was what I was expecting. I was wrong, but BYU still won at the end of the day. They're still four and zero. the momentum is still there. Zach Wilson still played great. There's some holes. There's some things that need to be cleaned up. And at the end of it all, I'm glad it happened against UTSA at home and not against Houston on the road next week. Yep. I'm excited for the game next week. There will be fans at the stadium in Houston. BYU has not played in front of fans yet. Now, these are going to be fans who are cheering against BYU, but 
there is something that they can feed off of. And I think this team, four games in front of no fans, I, I don't think – I mean, these guys have never done that before. At any point in their career, they have never done that. Even in Little League, there are fans cheering for you. Right. At least you can hear your mom. Yeah. In the stands. So it's weird. I mean, it's a weird environment. And I think that over time, that kind of started to wear on these players. And I think that played a role. So it's a good thing. There's going to be plenty of things for the coaches to look at review on film. One thing that Kalani said after the, after the game and his press conference is, and that I really loved. And I think it's kind of a good, a good way to put a bow on, on this conversation, but the game of football is too special to take wins for granted. We cannot cheat the game and be mad about a win. The game is too hard. People work too hard to not be upset and not celebrate a win. This game's tough. UTSA, they have players. They, you know, they not, maybe not NFL players, but they have athletes and they have guys who work their butts off every day for the opportunity to beat a ranked team in BYU. This was the biggest game on their schedule and they've worked hard to play well. We cannot take that for granted, right? That BYU was still able to win that game. This game is just too difficult and too, too challenging to cheat the game like that. So I, I really appreciated Kalani's comments. Um, and I think that's, that's kind of how I feel is that, Hey, look, this game, it didn't go how we all thought it would. There's a lot of things that need to be cleaned up. I understand why anybody would be frustrated watching that game in real time. But everybody take a deep breath. Enjoy some Sunday, um, you know, Sunday NFL football. Enjoy Monday. I'm a banker. Being a banker is not a luxurious, a luxurious life. But every Columbus Day, y'all go to work and I don't. And I love being a banker one day a year. What are you going to do to celebrate? Well, normally I do something because my kids go to school but they're doing school at home. So it's, I'll probably just help out with that. And it will be a little bit more lackluster than, than normal, but I won't be working. So that's kind of nice. I'm sure your wife will appreciate the break and uh, have you helping with school. Yeah. Of her. Um, uh, Old Miss just tried an onside kick in a tie ball game and they did not get it. Ooh, the final line Kiffins are not getting 42, 42. Surprise onside kick. They had a chance to get it. And let's see what happened here. It's actually a pretty decent kick. Kicker had it in his arms. One of those onside kicks that the kicker recovers it himself. It was in his arms and he couldn't come down with it. Yeah. The also, but before we cut this show short, did you see who was playing quarterback at Virginia? Um, I don't know I saw who that was. number 36 threw yeah. an interception to number 29 well, of course who ran did. it back for a touchdown. Yeah, of course, number 36 threw an interception. He's number 36. I don't know. Whatever the Bronco things are wrong. Okay. There are systematic issues there. 
I know, mean, bro, right? Broncos thing running into the wind. That's a little too far into the wind. You got spun around a little bit. If you got, yeah, you ran right into a hurricane is what you've done. And now you're just getting tossed and turned everywhere. I don't know who number 36 is. I had some, uh, somebody in my mentions on Twitter that was like, well, that's the backup quarterback. I'm like, no, 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 no. You're missing the point. The point is why is the backup quarterback number 36? Unless the backup quarterback is also the starting linebacker. This doesn't make any sense. I don't know. Oh, so he's been on the roster since 2017. He is listed at six foot two forty. So they must use him like have used him in like other tight end situations or something. I think I, um, I, I want to verify this. I don't think that I think that the what's his name, whatever their starting quarterback. I can't remember his name. I think he's the only quarterback on their roster that is less than 20. That's bizarre. I mean, Bronco well, was been, a little he's bit. He's been number 36 since 2017 when he joined the program. Bronco's always been a little bit funny, right? With the way that he, uh, the way that he does things. Like he kind of pioneered the whole notion of um, allowing linebackers to wear single digits he like BYU was a little bit unique in that regard for a long time I'm pulling up their roster now okay there's four yeah dude I don't understand there are four quarterbacks on the roster Brennan Armstrong's the starter number five that makes sense Lindell Stone is number 36 I Rakin Armstead is number 98 and Kateon Thompson is number 99 so, they have a red shirt freshman who does not dress. Jer- not dress. Jared Raymond does not have a number. So it is a matter of apparently um, a very Bronco thing that instead of assigning numbers, the players get assigned, like get to go in. The coaches decide when a player has earned the right to pick a number. Yeah, and that's got to be it. But then because- they keep it they don't say, okay, quarterbacks, you can pick one of these. Cause there's only, there's never going to be two quarterbacks on the field at the same time. So as long like quarterbacks, you can pick any number between one and 20 and you're, or you're fine because we'll just, you can't pick the same number as another quarterback, whatever they broke it up as no one on the offense. Like you can't have two people on the offense with the same number. So there were 35 other offensive players who had already picked by the time he got to pick. And so 36 was the first, not the only number, the lowest number available to him because they wouldn't let him pick something else in the top 15. I don't know what they're doing something funny because they've got a punter. (laughs) They've got a punter who's number two. So a quarterback is number 36 and a punter who's number two. They've got a defensive end, number 16, a defensive tackle, number 19, a kicker, number 26, that even number 26, at least it's sort of like Doug Flutie-like. That's a better quarterback number than 36. They got a lot of weird stuff going on over there. Yeah, but I mean, and they also lost. So I, mean, I don't know. We got Houston coming up on Friday. It's going to be a short week. It's going to be a really good week for you because you have Monday off and then it's a Friday game. So you're going to be checked out by about 11 a.m. on Friday morning. So you basically have a three day work week this week. We're going to come back. We'll have our Houston preview for you out Wednesday night, early Thursday morning. And then let's go out and get after him. Give him hell this week. Give him hell.